Yo, it's the Raji Rabbit and Friends Podcast. Welcome back to the Raji Rabbit and Friends Podcast. I'm Raji Rabbit, joined today by my buddy Christopher Duramire. What's up, Chris? What's up, Raj? How you doing today? Good, man. Hey, Chris has a little bit of a of an accent. It's not a SoCal accent. It's not a Midwest <laughs> accent. It's not a East Coast accent. Where are you from? Uh, well, I was born in New York, but I was raised in Germany by a very German father, so I guess you could say I'm more German than anything. Oh, yeah, definitely. How many languages do you speak? Uh, three fluently, uh, which would be English, German, and Spanish, and then I also can defend myself in Portuguese and French. Nice. Yeah. So you're opening up a new studio. It's pretty exciting. It's called Sound Clip Studios. Yep, absolutely. It's uh, located up in Encinitas in a dreamy little surfer town, and I am basically offering a state-of-the-art production mix and master studio, um, mainly based on the production side of things. I have amassed, mainly through an obsession of my own, a uh, rather large collection of beautiful analog synthesizers and high-end modern analog uh, and digital gear. Yeah. And the studio that I've created is a fusion of vintage analog gear modern analog gear and high-end digital equipment so yeah basically full rounded it's it is it is amazing how much stuff you have like you know he's saying all of the the exact uh, kind of proper ways to say it but basically this studio is chock full of super cool shit <laughs> yeah okay? it's, a, it's like, an adult playground <laughs> yeah it's got uh, synthesizers the real deal synthesizers so you know you have their moogs you have uh the the profits you have a bunch of great synthesizers that are the real analog synths you got basically any kind of plug-in that you would think of. So if you don't own any plug-ins or if your plug-ins are okay, you can come to the studio and and basically um, run the sound that you've already, you, the, the MIDI you've already created through this super fat analog gear very inexpensively uh, and, and, and get an, an even wilder, amazing tone. Uh, than, than you're achieving with your plugin. So if you're just an electronic producing guy, he's got stuff for you. If you are a band and you're looking for an extra sound to fill out your band Absolutely. stuff, it's uh, you know your, your your album and really get that kind of uh, new age rock uh, synth pop type feel. Yeah, you it's have, all about finding yeah. uh, your own sound, finding that yeah. sound that kind of distinguishes you amongst the others um, that lets you stand out. I mean, yeah. especially in dance music, it's it's very popular to, to create your own bass lines, your own bass sounds, mm-hmm. where as, as soon as a song comes on, um, if you are involved in the scene and you do know uh, your your artist that you will instantly recognize them just by the baseline or by the sound of a certain bass or a kick or mm-hmm. what have you, and that's what I offer is the ability to craft your own sound mm-hmm. in uh, a much more detailed way and in a much fuller way than you might be able to do in your own studio. Yeah, for sure. And part of uh, it's it's like if you never had that color crayon, you will never be able to color that and and make that that uh that picture the way it would have been if you had all the colors 
So if you were a crayon box, your studio, <laughs> your studio, it would be like the Crayola Super Rainbow big kit you buy when you're going back to school. You remember yeah, those things? Yeah, 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 the it big had, ones. Yeah, because oh, you everything. get the small one. It's like okay, you know, yeah, it's, you it's get, you get the base colors, but you know, you don't have all the different shades. Yeah, and, and this the is nuances. that giant Crayola box of fun toys. You have all sorts of microphones. You have all sorts of synthesizers. You have all every plug-in. Yeah. UAD stuff. That's Universal Audio. I mean, yeah, this studio I have is every sick. Universal Audio plugin uh, on the market. I've got all Native Instruments yeah. uh, effects and instruments. So I have the whole virtual game covered. Um, and then, as I said, of course, there are many emulations of that classic 808, the 909, mm-hmm. the Mini Moog. You name it, but it's nothing like having a true analog synthesizer mm-hmm. because the quality of the sound that you can record through there is just so much higher than anything that you would be able to get through a virtual recreation of that. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's weird because you can tell people that all you want, and they they kind of uh, they okay. I hear it. it's kind of one ear one out the other, but then when you when you do actually hear it, I mean, I just broke down about my first analog synth uh, a few weeks ago and it, i mean it's it's uh it's pretty awesome i love it you know it's 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 definitely a different sound uh in a warmer tone than, than when you is using your plug-in but yeah absolutely i mean it's just it's definitely it's more of a real instrument so yeah. it's it's got a life of its own as i like to say a lot of these are definitely handcrafted yeah. uh, the vast majority of analog synthesizers are handcrafted that's is course what part of what you're paying for in those elevated prices right, yeah um but what you get as a benefit from it is the fact that there is the blood sweat and tears of the people in there that actually built these and each one is slightly different because a solder point might be not exactly the same on each individual item and thus giving it a kind of tonality and a life of its own mm-hmm. so very much like guitars would have depending on the tone woods uh, involved would have their own characteristic sound well that's essentially what you want to get to with analog synthesizers mm-hmm. uh, i remember an interview with uh or an in the studio session with a uh electronic group that i admire greatly which is chromio mm-hmm. in which um they said that as soon as they get in a synthesizer what they do is they actually delete all of the preset patches and start from scratch making their own sounds and making their own presets from start to finish yeah I mean, that's a very elaborate step, and they've been in the game for many, many years. So of course, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, what I would recommend more so is, you know, if you do have an analog synthesizer, do get a chance to play with one, is start off with a preset and then tweak it so that you get a certain sound. Right, because you, uh, sometimes you don't really understand what you're hearing, uh, if that's a square, if that's a... Uh sawtooth you know and and, absolutely once you start to play around with those you can kind of identify them and start creating for your own but yeah presets are awesome to uh to and that's another reason i bought a real analog synth is because uh for sound designing your own stuff to me it just wasn't as fun with a mouse and there are some things that can automatically map knobs and stuff for you but it's never quite what i want i want to be able to go to every single button on that massive you know i want every single button to just be laid out Mm -hmm. and it's got Mm -hmm. too many too many knobs to for really any controller on the market even still to have all those knobs just ready for me to touch and when you have an analog synthesizer every single knob every single slider is all there 
and you can just touch it when you feel like touching it. When you have a mouse or you have multiple pages to yeah. flip through of the synth on the, on screen, it's just not as fun. That's why I'm always like starting off with presets or and and kind of changing them yeah. from there. Yeah. But it's 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 a big preset race when it comes to to virtual plugins for me. And now that I got an analog synth, it's made it way more fun to create my own. Well, it kind of just brings it back to its basics in many senses, because uh, obviously with virtual instruments, they can get very complex. And as you said, you know, something like Massive, which has a massive amount of knobs and controllers, um, which you can adjust and pages to go through, but it's easy to get lost and not really understand what you're doing when you're changing these knobs and effects. Whereas with an analog system, it's direct relation to your physical movement of these uh, knobs and sliders to the actual sound so Mm -hmm. it's a very instant feedback yeah and it kind of lets you understand sound in a much more intimate and deeper way i find yeah now also one of the funny parts about using a creating your own sound i guess uh at least for me um you know i'll get uh, i'll get my i'll get my synth and i you know i have a bass station too and it's uh you know, I start messing with it, and I'm like, okay, this is getting there, this is getting there. I'll maybe hit, like, maybe two knobs. I'll do something, mm-hmm. and I'll jump into this realm of shitty sound. <laughs> and I'm like, what yeah. the fuck did I just do? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's And then easy I just start over, because I'm like, oh, I fucked this up royally. Oh, yeah. So, it's fun, though, but it's super fun. Uh, absolutely love it. Uh, the analog synth world is, is, is very cool. Anyways, your studio has a ton of them, and... Uh, and a ton of microphones. What's your favorite recording microphone? I, I, I'm not going to say that because they all have different purposes. Yeah, it's difficult to say. I mean, um, one of my absolute favorite microphones is kind of an unsung hero, which is often forgotten and is actually out of production now, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is a biodynamic TGX47, um, which essentially is a biodynamic version of the classic Shure SM57. Uh, mm-hmm. But the reason I like it is because it just, for a dynamic microphone, has a much broader dynamic range. Mm-hmm. And for miking up, for instance, guitar um, cabs, it's amazing. You know, yeah. for amplifiers and stuff like that. Yeah, it handles the sound pressure well without distorting or giving you kind of more of a thinner sound. So it's... It's quite full. Another favorite of mine, obviously, is going to be the uh, Shure SM7B. Uh, that's a classic, one of the best um, large diaphragm dynamic microphones on the market, um, which I could say. Of course, there's the uh, there's the gamut of uh, Manly Reference and Taylor Funken AK47s and um, the Newman U87s, which are to be joining the studio uh, shortly, I hope. My main focus to start off with, uh, to be honest, wasn't necessary to start on a recording side, but to do a pure production studio. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been lucky enough to be able to move from the original um, site of the studio, which was just one room, to now an integrated small little um, house, which actually has both a big, large control room, has a uh, now nice recording room, as well as a bedroom, kitchen, three-piece bathroom, uh, little 
front yeah. garden to so, chill in. Yeah, so this, the place is very nice. I've been out there, and it's uh, it's cool because it is um, it's all inclusive. If you go to this studio, if you rent this studio, uh, which the website's about to come uh, to life soon. Yeah, it should be up in about uh, two days. We have the temporary one coming up, and then we have some uh, very exciting, very exciting plans for. Um, the full website, which is going to be launched in about two to three months. I'm working mm-hmm. together with an amazing development team called Thirsty Fish. Um, their website is thirstyfish.net. They have uh, offices in London and in Mumbai and have really gone above and beyond anything that I could have possibly imagined for my website. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see this website. You told me some of the cool features and stuff that are going to potentially happen on it, which is awesome. But uh, it will set you apart from other people, which is super cool. But if you if you rent this studio, if you go to this studio, first of all, the rates. This is a big dog studio. I'm not like no bullshit. This is like some <laughs> L.A. looking shit. You know, you've redone even the walls and everything. Has yes, been- I've done proper acoustic treatment on the wall. I mean, I've put up two-inch cork panels yeah. uh, throughout not, the Not just studio. your normal foam shit. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, egg crate, it's done. Yeah, give me some RLX. Uh, no, no, I went and yeah. I, I specifically, you know, uh, different materials I have in there. I have stones. I have high-density foam, uh, stone veneers, so they're fake stone looking like stone but they're actually high density foam so they're a lot more absorbent uh to kind of deaden out the room which in and of itself is pretty bright um but i've really done a lot of personalization and a lot of hard work i mean i've been working at this for a better part of nine months now doing the construction um and it's finally at a point where i'm i'm pretty much ready to open the doors and welcome everyone in so and that's awesome i guess for now since the the website isn't live yet we'll just go ahead and link your uh your we'll put a link up to your email and then when it goes live i'll just uh kind of uh shout it out on one of those podcasts and be like hey Remember my buddy Christopher Dermier? <laughs> super cool website is finally launched. But uh, maybe you could send me those photos of your studio because uh, I've been I'd in it to. before it was finished and it looks amazing now. But he's got these photos and if he, he's going to send them to me and I'll post them up too. So you can kind of get a glimpse into the studio uh, mm-hmm. before the full website launches. Uh, just going to have interactive features. Yeah. Ways I mean, the there's going to be a temporary website up with just a base description of our services and pricings and some images of the studio. Uh, so you can kind of get an idea of what we have to offer. But as I said, the big, full, exciting website is going to be up in about two months. And I'll definitely keep... Uh, Keep my me favorite posted. rabbit posted so yeah. that he can inform y'all. For sure. Now, let's get into some world travels. So being mostly raised in Germany, mm-hmm. um, how was that like? I'll tell you, it was an interesting, an interesting place to grow up in. Um, my father was about nine years old when the Second World War ended. And so it was definitely a child of post-war Germany. Uh, it's interesting because... Amongst many of my friends, there's kind of the same sentiment that it's a very hard kind of father to grow up under that mm-hmm. went through that, um, which is understandable. But growing up in, in Germany, is it's a very interesting experience. I mean, I grew up in Munich, which is more of a village than a city. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got more of a village feel. It's very green. It's a beautiful place to be. It's incredibly safe, uh, which makes it a great place to grow up in. Like parents don't have to worry about their children being out on the streets at ten o'clock at night, 
Being a young adult, it's not that much fun because the cops are really, really, really ridiculous in the sense that if you're under the age of about 50, you probably be pulled out or pulled over for no apparent reason other than that you might be up to some mischief. Yeah. So it's a great place to raise kids uh, or be a small child, but um, I actually decided when I was 14 to leave Germany and go to boarding school in England. Okay. So I spent four years in England, and then... Did you uh, ask your dad to do that? Like, how did you say, hey, man, uh, I'm out of here. I want to, I don't really, I, I think that I could better myself this way. I mean, what what was your mind state at 14, and and how did you approach your dad to ask to leave the boarding school? Or did he just say, hey, you're too crazy to go to boarding school? <laughs> no, I'm actually one of the few people that I know that, that actually wanted to go to boarding school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just I've been living in Munich for 14 years. I, I've always had a a drive in me to to explore and to experience new things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I was at a point where I was finishing middle school, and I said, you know what? I mean, I originally wanted to go to Switzerland uh, to boarding school because I wanted to be able to snowboard pretty much every day. Yeah. Of course, my that's when my father, my German father, intervened and said, "No, we will get an English, a British education. It's much better than a Swiss." I still would have preferred to go snowboarding rather than <laughs> sitting in soggy England, but nevertheless, it did it did offer me the opportunity to kind of go out and explore. Um, well, in many senses, a new culture. You know, I've had British friends. Obviously, I went to international schools in Munich. Um, that's also why I don't have a German accent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because since fifth grade, I've been educated in an English-speaking educational system. But to actually go over and live there was a whole different experience, and especially in a boarding school setting where I'm an only child. So to all of a sudden be locked in a house with 50 other kids and mm-hmm. you know a few adults that are taking care of us, it's quite a different world, I'll yeah. tell you that much. Nice, nice. So you go to boarding school, how, and how long? Uh, two years at Millfield, which was the first one I went to. Uh, it's like England's number one sports boarding school, which I obviously didn't fit into because I'm not an athlete. I'm more of a creative type, as they would say. Um, and then I switched to Seven Oaks, which is uh, a very academically strong school. Um, it's like one of the leading IB, which is the International Baccalaureate schools in the world. And uh, yeah, it's essentially two years of taking AP classes. And uh did that for two years, graduated, and then decided, you know what, I need a break. Mm-hmm. So at what point did music start to come into your life? Uh, music's kind of always been a part of my life, to be honest. I've started playing the piano when I was five years old. Uh, I played the piano for several years, and um, then the other thing is that my mom, coming from Central America, she's from Belize. Originally, um, all my family on my Belizean side is, you know, very Central American, Caribbean in that sense. A lot of music, every family event, there's Osoka music playing. And, yeah. and then my dad on the other side um, would, from an earliest age, you know, take me along to classical music concerts and jazz festivals because that's what he's obsessed with. Nice. That's the music that he's obsessed with. Now, of course, as a little kid, I'd go... To these classical music concerts, and I go, why am I doing this? Why are you taking me? You know, <laughs> what's going on? I, I don't want to be here. I want to watch cartoons. But uh, I have to say now, later in life, I really thank him because 
he started training my ear from a very early age and 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 in a very challenging format too because classical music is for me classical music and jazz for me are two of the most challenging types of music to yeah. listen to understand and create and also produce and yeah. mix it's just it's the dynamic range that you need within it that makes yeah. it so difficult the dynamic range and also i think probably the the not so easily digestible repetition yes you know absolutely and i mean what makes a great pop song is you know what's coming up you know what i mean it's kind oh, of yeah it's kind of a safe ride mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. And uh, so you know that, you know, if you took the journey before, the first time you hear a song, you're kind of going up and down, you're doing this journey. And then it kind of repeats, and then there might be a big dip in it. There was like one little, you know, or two little dips in it. But it's a simple roller coaster, and it's fun because it doesn't scare the bejesus out of you, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and then, you know, there's uh, the pieces are so long. Yeah. You know, then it goes from from being being something like fun recreational roller coaster to being like, uh, you know, you're almost a jogging. Lecture, yeah. You're jogging. Yeah. You're le- yeah. It's, it's it's like I gotta get through this. I I think I can make it through this. You know, especially being a, an American. You know, mm-hmm. like born and raised. You know, we are. Uh, uh, there's there's. I'm not saying that people don't listen to classical music, but I'm saying that uh, by and far. Uh, there's definitely are. more of a tradition of it in in Europe and yeah. especially in Germany. I mean, Germany has a very long tradition of of classical music. Yeah. You know, um, influences both composers yeah. and just. It permeating throughout the the whole society so and jazz is crazy because that's just like erratic you know that yeah. that becomes yeah. too crazy so so you got to have patience to get through classical music and you then then you have to be uh a little uh insane to really get into to, to, to appreciate jazz i guess because it's it's kind of a um, uh, not by the rules a lot of the time. Yeah, it's you know? a very organic. I mean, I, I often like to think of jazz, or the way that I think of jazz, is it's one of the only like very purely organic forms of music in the sense that you'll probably never listen to the same piece of jazz performed by the same band twice. Even if it's the same song, every single time they're going to do a slight variations, and there's just there's this organic element, this this constant fluctuation. Improvision. Improvision that is just a base element of jazz that yeah. exists. You know, I mean, classical music, not so much. It's obviously a lot more adherent to the, that to the sheet rules. sheet music. Exactly, yeah. sheet music, you know. And jazz, on the other hand, is probably the freest music in the sense that there is so much... Um, they have creativity some, some rules when they're playing I guess certain songs but yeah, then you know, you know, everybody but gets to kind of do their thing and jazz exactly up, so. I mean that's the thing yeah. it's, it's one of the I mean what I love about jazz is the fact that they do within a song each member takes time to, to kind of have their moment in the spotlight mm-hmm. you know you know at certain times everyone gets quiet and then there's the guitar solo and then everyone joins back in and then everyone gets quiet again and then the bass player goes off and his funky riffs and then you know, it's, it's time for everyone to kind of shine, but they all come back together as a, as a whole. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying that I don't like pop music or any other type of oh, music. Yeah. I'm, I definitely am a big fan of, of pretty much every style of music. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Just because there is much to gain, and, and there's definitely a lot of challenges in everything. I mean, even pop music is very challenging in the sense that you do have to create something very original that is relatively easily digestible because you don't want do want to appeal to a broad market yeah um and by easily digestible i don't mean that you have to cheapen yourself i'm just saying that you know you're making a product which is fun yes you know, it's, it's fun, fun it's, it's, you don't, yeah, yeah you don't want to make people 
you know, wait for it. You want to exactly. give the payoff. You want to exactly. you know, give the payoff a couple times and be like, yeah. this is what I got in yep. three minutes, yep. you know, or six minutes if it's house music, maybe, you know, six, exactly. seven minutes. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, I love music for all of the differences like you, like you do, but, uh, I think it's fun that, that you grew up with classical and jazz influences. Um, and, uh, so early on music in your life, mm-hmm. what about, um, uh, creating music? When did that start kind of getting to, um, when did you start going, I can make music too, original music? Cause to be honest, the very first time that kind of came about was, or it really settled in, was when I bought my very first analog drum machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the Korg Electribe uh, ESX, which is the sampler version. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time where I really had that experience of that interaction of, wait a minute, I touch these buttons and it affects the sound. And I think... What frustrated me a lot in my youth, like I tried to learn how to play the guitar, I tried, you know, the bass for a little bit, and right. I just, I always got frustrated with it because I think what I was missing was the ability to kind of control them all, mm-hmm. you know, or have an element of, like I love pushing buttons and turning do- knobs, you know, because yes. I've been a gamer all my life, you know. Yeah. I think the first, the first, uh, um, the first money I ever got from my parents a little, you know, um, allowance, uh-huh. first allowance. I remember I saved up with a buddy of mine and we went in splitsies on a Sega Master System 2. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm talking, this is before Genesis and all that, yeah. right? So, yeah. like, I've always loved fiddling with buttons and knobs. So I think for me to kind of get that direct response that we were talking about earlier, and in this sense from a drum machine, which, you know, I mean, I've, I've through my own life, you know, gone very heavily into hip-hop and electronic music mainly Mm -hmm. and that's also what my specialties are in um so i'm definitely a beat and bass junkie (laughs) so to speak so for me to have the ability to really on the spot change the beat and create the new song and uh, another very influential um drum machine that a friend of mine had was the um uh, what was it? The 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 Roland six oh six, I believe it was. SP six oh six sampler. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I believe it was that one, um, and that with the pre-recorded samples already in it, mm-hmm. you know, having the ability to take in and take out parts, essentially what Ableton does nowadays. You know, yeah. It gives you the freedom to launch your clips. Right. Well, this was the hardware version of it, so to speak, and it allowed me to really create music on the fly right right you know and 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 that kind of interaction and intuitiveness of being able to have everything that i've stored up you know through listening to hip-hop for mm-hmm. i mean i went i went through it all yeah. i went through listening to punk rock to hip-hop yeah. to you know a lot of electronic music yeah. in spain and um be, to have the ability to finally put my hands on something that lets me manipulate those sounds was just mind-blowing the coolest part about modern production to me is is uh, and you kind of touched on it there but if you think about it if you start learning guitar and you know that's that's cool you're you're a guitar player okay rad awesome now you got to seek out all these other people to make a band and make your whole ideas whole you know yeah um and so the more you get used to technology and the more that you kind of like um 
open your eyes and your possibilities to include it to these other things that are non-traditional mm-hmm. like a drum machine i'm sure i know when drum machines came out people were like fuck that i'm a real drummer <laughs> yeah fuck drum yeah. machines you know you don't need drum machines you know when synthesizers came out they thought it was the devil's music because you know <laughs> it was an analog it was not natural sound it was no, made it was by electric music waves made by electricity right yeah. and that's not supposed to happen so says people that were of a very conservative nature back in the day. Yeah, now I mean, you that's the same thing like now when, when the electric guitar first came out. Electric guitar know? was devil's music, too. Absolutely. Exactly. So, Absolutely. you know, um, but then it became accepted and it became the norm. So same with synthesizers. But the, the cool part about modern technology music mm-hmm. is you can, say, with the sampler. Sampler was a really big thing. Yeah. Because then you didn't have to play the guitar. You sampled the guitar. Exactly. You know, and so it's like I have these cool ideas. And, yeah, the uh, the tone on this, you know, this ACDC song was, was is what I want. It's what I, if I had the pe- the knowledge to put a pedal board together and yep. play a guitar, yep. I would play that lick just like that. Exactly. But I can't. So I can actually have this machine take that one stroke of the guitar, that one mm-hmm. lick, and then play it pretty much up and down on any scale that you write. You know, you could yep. you could change the pitch. You yep. know. And so now I'm going to replay this song, or I'll just chop up the way that he played it, take those four notes, rearrange them, and I'm replaying these notes in different orders um, and make it my own. It's, it's amazing, because now you can do everything, beginning to end. If yeah. you're just a guitar player with only the, the knowledge to play guitar and only the desire to play guitar, you have to find a band. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's funny how you mentioned the, the, the chopping up of, of the different elements, because uh, the more I think about it, the more it kind of becomes clear that really the origins of hip-hop were also the origins of modern production, you know, because, yeah, yeah, I mean, analog synthesizers came out in the 70s and 80s, but there still wasn't kind of the concept of taking something pre-existing and then reusing that in a different format, Mm -hmm. you know, the sampling aspect of it. And it really came um, out of DJs, the first hip-hop DJs, taking the same two records playing on the same, on two turntables and then just repeating certain elements of it, essentially sampling it before there was a sampler. Right. And then of course the NPCs came out where Akai just put down their feet and said, All right, we're in this for for the long run and that's how the NPC legend got born was by the fact that you as you said had the ability now to sample anything and everything directly into this machine and mm-hmm. transpose it to change the pitch of it to make it your own. Yeah. And and reuse it. So yeah, you don't have to be a bass player, you don't have to be a guitar player, but you can get those sounds and play those instruments. And it would have been so fun coming up uh, in the before copyright times. Before I mean, copyrights have always existed, but before uh, there was a big gigantic thing about it. Because man, oh man, you know, like I that's part of like I I don't sample, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, but when I first started making beats, I did. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like we could have never released that stuff, you know, like officially, officially. We were super underground when I started doing doing when I first yeah. started making beats. I was so well, young. I mean, everyone is. And you know, <laughs> uh, you, know you sample and you you take all these cool things, and you chop them up, and you make them all wonky, and it's cool. But uh, but man, the reality of of releasing a track—if you want to get any money from it—that's why music is. Uh, it, you know, you hear Kanye West music kind of got stranger. Some people say as it went along, but it didn't really get stranger. It's just all like r- produced now. It's all his yes, own stuff. Exactly. In the and beginning, here's Kanye West with limited ability to 
get live instruments on track. So mm-hmm. what do you do? You program the shit out of things and make them awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, he did things with the squirrely voice pitching the music. You know, the, the oh thing yeah, I mean, and, that's and, taking I mean, samples. He pioneered that. Record, so yeah. so even though sampling had been out for years at that point, you know, yeah. he kind of like just said, "Boom! This is how you." This is how you do it, you know. Yeah, he definitely brought it to the mainstream. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd arguably say that the, the true pioneers and the masters behind that is, is still the Wu Tang Clan, um, yeah, and yeah. RZA. Because I mean, there's if you look out yeah, on RZA's the net, a there's a uh, shopping master. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's actually two amazing albums out there um, called Shaolin Soul, uh-huh. which are collections of the original songs from the '60s that and '70s, which RZA used to sample for all the Wu-Tang songs. Uh-huh. Nice. So you'll hear like the beginning of the song and you'll instantly recognize it as the hook of a of your fa- of like one of your favorite Wu-Tang songs. But all of a sudden this is super slow ballad from the 60s, you know, it's R&B ballad and you're going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, where's my gangster rap?" Right. So, um, you know, I definitely agree with you that Kanye brought it to the broad masses and he is mm-hmm. I mean, he that's what he was best at and and I agree with you. It's, you know, I I kind of like his earlier stuff more so because it was more sample based. It was that's what he was excellent at was taking selecting those samples and kind of reviving them, right? You know? And that's essentially yeah. what it is: is reviving these these old melodies, these old songs, which in a new format. Yeah, you know? it's super cool. Uh, it's it's interesting, and there's always the people that fight back and say, "Hey, man, you know." It's not original, but it is. It, it's it's strange. It's uh, I think kind of I kind of talked about this with uh, James Guffey uh, on a, the one of the previous podcasts. But it was um, kind of art creating other art, creating other art. Mm-hmm. Like um, um, my uncle had made some music videos for for my uh, some of my songs on my first EP that I released. Right? Yeah. And it, and it, and it's uh, it was cool because I didn't even expect him to do that. I didn't. He just hit me up with an email one day, like, "Hey, man, I, you know, I hope you don't mind. I did this. Tell me what you think." I was like, "Oh, cool, cool. awesome." Very so cool. yeah, they're up now on the site. And, but it's like, you know, uh, other people making something inspired by or to or in addition of your uh, of something else that's art. You know, it's it's really cool, man. And and that's what sampling is. Is it's art uh, that inspired somebody else to create new art. Precisely, and I mean, I think I think it's it gets a little complicated in the music game because there are so many interested parties involved, which aren't necessarily the artists themselves. Um, yeah. But I mean, a permeating factor throughout any art form is first imitation of your masters, and then branching out on yourselves. I mean, you start to learn any instrument, you start learning what not your own compositions in your head you're going to start learning your favorite songs right you're going to start imitating you're going to, i mean the amount of tribute bands that are out there mm-hmm. you know they specialize on playing the exact that paying tribute to it right right so and even with say you know painting you in order to become a great painter you have to study the masters you have to copy their styles so that you can internalize them and then be able to you know create something of your own right so i think I agree with you. Sampling is kind of the new format of that honoring through the recreation of something, but it gets complicated when there's so much money and so yeah. many parties involved, unfortunately, yeah. you know. I mean, I guess if you ever make music just underground style or whatever, you know, like if you're just making music therapeutically, you know, then sample and do that. But if you're making music with the goal of like releasing it, learn the, the try to get 
permission. You know, I guess I guess you can always release it first and see if it catches fire. And if mm-hmm. it catches fire, then you know you'll worry about legalizing it from then because now you'll have uh, kind of like a little little you have a little momentum and have a little something behind you. So when it officially so. releases, yeah, yeah, it would it would actually sell more, and then you can justify paying the money to 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 to, to use that license. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I think we're in an interesting point, though, in the whole copywriting and licensing game, too, because, I mean, I'm, unless the rules have changed very much, so I believe uh, it's after it's 70 years after the death of the artist that the copyright um, kind of nulls out. That's called public domain. Exactly. And so you can sample public domain stuff. You can sample public domain stuff, and what's interesting about that is that as we're progressing, I mean... The recording industry, you know, started recording records, you know, I mean, we're talking beginning of the 1900s. So now that we're well into the next century, so to speak, it's interesting because as we keep progressing in time, there's going to be more and more items available for public domain. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of looking back far enough. Yeah, yeah, And being able to take from that, I mean... If you want, you can take any of the compositions of any of the classical masters that we were just talking about, classical music, take the melodies out of that, you know, play it on a guitar or on something else, and then as long as you're not using someone else's recording of it, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how the classical music world works, is that you take these masters, you play them in your own style, and then that's how you monetize. You monetize off of that, right? So... That's why you have so-and-so playing Handel, so-and-so right. playing Bach, so-and-so, and that's what makes you famous. Um, so it's all about kind of finding your influences and, and, and if not using them directly, letting them influence your music in a positive way. And um, so real quick question then on the sampling and, 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 and the, the copyright. We'll just get into the copyright thing mm-hmm. since you can own songs and stuff. So what do you think? Really quick, guy who copywrote or entity that copyright uh, did the copyright on uh, the happy birthday traditional American song. Are they dicks or smart? <laughs> is that a dick move? I think that that's a dick move. move? Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. I think it's very smart for their self-interest. I think it's a dick move in the larger Yeah, you sense can't even do it like if you, if you, uh, you know, technically, if they wanted to be super assholes about it, they could, if you recorded a birthday party and you sang that song yeah. and it was on YouTube, you exactly. might have to silence your YouTube video yeah. because that yeah. song is copyrighted. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. I mean, um, the, it gets, the thing is, it gets very complicated, the whole copywriting and, and, and that whole deal. I mean, I had, what I would recommend, honestly, um, for most people starting off um, and kind of putting their music out there is to put your music out under a Creative Commons license. Because what a Creative Commons license allows you to do is it allows any third party to kind of take your song or parts of your song to do that resampling, remixing, etc. Um, however, if they were to have any monetary gain off of that, they would have to involve you in the process. That way you're covered. So it's not quite as restrictive. It's, in many, it's most often free mm-hmm. um, to get a Creative Commons license for your, for your um, tracks. And then that way you can have that security that if someone is to profit off of something that you made you will be covered but it also gives others the freedom to kind of take your music and and change it to kind of collaborate with you right. in a more open platform and i you know i think also though that uh you know um 
the big the biggest thing is putting it out there you know um and getting people to see what you can provide what your mind is like uh get a sense of you as a person through who you are as an artist so Absolutely. don't matter what we talk about legally on this podcast you know because it can get a little bit like uh, i'm scared i have these ideas <laughs> i don't want to put them out put them out dude you know yeah, if you got a song and you don't have any means to do anything legality who gives a shit because you're, you're still protected if you got some kind of way that you can prove and trace back that somebody heard your song and was affected by your song and that's why they made the exact same song that you made you know yep. then uh you still will have a legal ground there but uh because you obviously have the original files that you made at the date it was created that session exactly. you know there's a there's a trail now that it's all digital you know mm-hmm. for you creating stuff but if you let I, I've talked to people who are like, oh, I'm not putting out anything until I, I got this. I'm mailing the letters, the, the, the you know, doing the actual mail thing and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get their stuff copyrighted the old school way and, and rather than the internet. It's, it's, it's crazy. And um, they're not releasing these songs. And I'm like, dude, this guy might be sitting on some good songs. Well, and the other thing is you're spending all this money on the front end without knowing that your song will have an appeal, that it will have an audience, and that there right. will be a monetary return on your investment, so right. to speak. You know, it's just, it's kind of the more stark side of the business, but you also have to think of yourself as, if I'm going to put my, like, everything's an investment, right? Mm-hmm. Your time, the amount of time you put into something, the amount of money you stick into something, and if you don't have a good potential return on your investment you might want to rethink your strategy. Right. Right? And so, and that's the same thing, you know, like, yep, put it out there, start getting interest. You know, I mean, there's the amount of artists that have gotten picked up because of exactly that, because they did a remix of someone else's song. And there's a lot more acceptance of the remix um, and sampling, I find, in the electronic uh, music scene than in any other scene, um, just because there it really is much more still seen as an homage to the original that you're using part of that to inspire you to make your own song yeah you know it's still kind of that whereas i feel like with the hip-hop world and the pop world it's gotten a little too suey edgy yeah in that sense um i find in electronic music there's still a lot of of reverence and i mean i you know good friends of mine that 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 you know have made it big and that's a big part of what they're doing is just getting remix requests from different labels all day long to yeah. do remixes of the main song of the single that the artist is putting out yep because you then broaden the range of of who that song is exposed to Precisely. you then up that chance of that song getting discovered anyway if someone is checking a playlist of somebody's or listening to something, I know a lot of times YouTube puts uh, people who upload these these uh, uh, audio mixes that they've recorded from their favorite DJ or whatever. They'll sometimes post a little track list underneath mm-hmm. or hell, mm-hmm. even if they don't post it, there's fans that just in the comments put the track list on there because they're so into the tracks. Oh, they absolutely. know which mix it is, blah, blah, blah. So they'll put a time thing on there and which which version of the song it is. So then you see that. You're like, oh, cool. What other versions are out there of this song? Or what was the original like? So it gets more interest for the artist. Because if the original song isn't as banging, uh, Ellie Golding Lights is the biggest example of that. Because the original mm-hmm. song is yeah. like, okay. Yeah. But that bass nectar, the way he like yeah. kind of just yeah. changed it up, yeah, that, that made that song big. Absolutely. If it wasn't for the bass nectar remix, that song would not have been 
big. And what do you hear on the radio? You hear the official version of it. You never really yeah. heard the bass nectar song yeah, on the radio. But it's that one that made it big. But that's what made it big. Exactly. And that's the thing. Nowadays in the age of internet and, and social media, it's all about visibility at the end of the day, you know? And yeah, it's putting your stuff out there. It's just trying to get people to, to give you feedback, to, you know, take that feedback and not be upset about people not necessarily liking your stuff, but, you know, take it as constructive criticism yeah like it's hard i know personally as an artist to put your stuff out there and, and the fear of getting criticized but that's the only real way that you can grow yeah you know and as you said earlier it's it's all about just getting your stuff out there getting that visibility just just making sure that people know what's in your head what's in your heart and your soul you know i mean one of the most emblematic phrases i think that i've ever heard and that kind of sums up what the experience of music is for me is that music is the universal language of emotions okay you can not speak a lick of the same language with someone like i don't speak a word of japanese but i i'm sure if i sit together with a japanese musician we can make music together yeah for you sure know? music is universal like the whole reason why pop songs are in the major chords is because they're meant to make you happy you know ballads are in minor chords because they make you sad you know mm -hmm. it's really it's the it's a gateway for you to express your emotions and it really comes through in the music and even if you don't understand the words or the lyrics of a song you can feel that emotion you, you feel I mean, that emotion you, yeah exactly you played uh, some stuff uh, for me, what is it? French rappers? Uh, French and German, yeah. French and German rappers, man. You me, let me hear some stuff, and it's like, word, 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 word. <laughs> and they're just saying like different words that I can't understand, but they got this swag to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you like, kind of understand. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like it's like that sounds like it would be pretty hard if I if I could understand a language. You know, like the beats hitting, the uh, emotion is there, and the voice. And it's like, oh, they're saying words I don't know, you know? And no, absolutely. And that's why, you know, as, as, as you said, it's very important to kind of get yourself out there and let people know what is inside of you because that is what will distinguish you from everyone else that's trying to make music is to not necessarily copy everyone else but get inspired by everyone else and then truly try and find your own voice and, and put yeah. that out there, you know? Don't be afraid to be vulnerable and, and you know, I mean... If you think about it, some some of the big stars nowadays that are making it bigger is because they are opening up their hearts. You know, I mean, Taylor Swift, you might knock her or not for writing a lot of ex-boyfriend songs, you know, but at the end of the day, she is opening herself up. I love Taylor Swift. You know, she's and, great. Yeah, and like you can see through her actions now after having made it big. I mean, that big Christmas thing was was quite amazing that she did. Um, did you hear her eight, 1989 album? No, I have not yet. So it's dope. My wife has it, and I was listening to it. She was playing it to me in the car, and uh, I was like, uh, you know, I, 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 I like Taylor Swift anyway. And, and uh, I liked her even more after I heard the CD. There is a part on it where she says that people have asked her about her writing process, because even when she broke onto the scene, you know, we all knew that she wrote. Mm-hmm. And so she describes her writing process, and she's like, "It's usually me and my iPhone six, and or my iPhone, and mm -hmm. and and uh, you know, like uh, in, you know, some instrument, and I'm playing the the basically the chords, and you know, or some of the melodies, yeah. and and singing along, and and this starts with this, and I may not know all the words, so you hear this intimate, one hundred percent authentic 
scrap version of the song like mm-hmm. from from the beginning and it's just like her singing and she's got yeah. the melodies down and then she'll be like mm-hmm, and she's just humming it yeah right because she doesn't know all the words yet yeah. she just knows some of them yeah and they're coming to her and i thought it was such a really cool uh um turn open the curtain and let people in kind of yeah, thing yeah, and i've never heard that before process. On, on a cd you know that yeah no cool. i mean it's, to have that on, on a cd and not on like a, a hbo or special, vh1 yeah, special or something like out, that just there yeah no that that is cool uh, i didn't know that. i mean i have to say i personally uh was very kind of skeptical of her when she first came out um but uh she's kind of won me over um yeah, she's cool, man. She can take all that hate and just like roll with the punch. You know what I mean? She doesn't let it bother her. No, and I mean I think that's that's kind of what what did win me over in the end is that the fact that that's what you know she's just burying herself open and and I mean I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan and I don't have all of her records. I'm still mainly a hip hop and electronic. He has her shirt on, guys. It's it's, it's a him, big I love Taylor. Taylor. I'm kidding. Nah. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, but as I said, you know, it's kind of it's 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 that finding your voice and expressing your voice and just that, that being vulnerable, you know, and not letting other people kind of tell you that you're wrong in exposing your feelings. That I think is very important to take yeah, away. Definitely. Yeah, you because know, there are going to be a lot of naysayers that say you can't make it or that what you're doing isn't good. But if you persevere and you truly stick to just yeah. expressing yourself then yeah i think it, it, me and me and james were talking about james guffey we're talking about uh you know the little bit of a luck factor because you got to have the luck factor you gotta right have a little luck. but there's also but we're i was like you know kind of like a role-playing game mm-hmm. where you grind and you grind and you grind and you get experience points and stuff yeah. right yeah. so you kind of grind 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 you get the experience points and then a little bit of luck points kick into you yep absolutely. So you, without working towards something you know you'll never catch that break so you always have to have to work towards your goal and then i think the little luck factor you need yeah, I mean, absolutely, I agree. There's, there's definitely an element of luck, but um, you know, luck with no hard work and no backup is gonna leave you luckless. Yeah, essentially, because you know, if you, I mean, and that's that's what happens to one hit wonders. You know, that's what it is. Is that they've been working and then they have their one hit and then they kind of just rest on the laurels of that, or mm-hmm. then just think, okay, well, we gotta make more music real quick, and then they come out with bad music and then they just, you know, falter. And so I think that's very important to, as you say, when you do have that opportunity or if you're lucky enough to get that moment of luck, to then really put your head down and work hard. Because that's the only way that you're really going to persevere. Yeah. And uh, so now let's, uh, we've, we've figured out what made you start creating music now with the analog drum machines and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and your friends and, you know, kind of getting this community together, is, you know, your, your compadres, your buddies yep. in the music. Um, let's go on, uh, to some of more of your world travels. Cause you didn't just go to boarding <laughs> school. What's going on with that? What happened after that? Um, no, so after boarding school, I actually took a year off. I took a gap year between boarding school and university. And I went to live in Spain for six months well, five mm-hmm. months at that point. Actually, um, I was living in Granada first down in the South and then up in Madrid. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Tufts University, actually, out in Boston for a year. And after completing my first year of college, I decided it was a lot more fun to live in Spain than it was to live in Boston at that time. And then I transferred to um, St. Louis University that has a Madrid campus. Mm-hmm. 
So I still went to an American university, so I convinced my parents that I'm still getting the American education, but now I was living in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's honestly where I stayed for nine years before moving out here to San Diego. Nice. Um, now, that being said, I have been very lucky that both my parents have been travel obsessed. And I mean, I have seen a lot of the world. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've, I remember going to Bali as a little kid because my parents had friends out there. Uh-huh. And, um, I've been lucky enough, as I said, to also go to international schools. And, and uh-huh. now I, too, have friends, you know, pretty much everywhere. All around the all world. All around the world. I mean, as I said, my web development team is between London, Munich, and Mumbai. You've got pros in different area codes. Exactly. I ain't got <laughs> hoes, I got pros. What? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so let's talk about, uh, see, you are a uh, young professional, as uh, mm-hmm. as I guess I am as well. We are um, we are married men. Yes, we are. And uh, you have a really cool story. I want you to, t- to tell us about your wife. Tell us her name. Tell us, tell, tell everybody how you met. Because it's a super cool story. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my wife is, her name is Jocelyn. She is a uh, beautiful girl from the Midwest, actually. Yeah. She's from Wisconsin. So. You know you're good people when you're from the Midwest. I'm from Indiana, and I'll tell you what. Come to California, there's some, there's a little bit of every once in a while, not so much in San Diego. You mm-hmm. maybe get this more L.A. Mm-hmm. area, but you can meet some people that are... Uh, uh, more interested in being your friend because of what you can provide them or whatever, you know? They're not really genuine, you know? Yes, absolutely. And when you meet a Midwest person, we're usually your friends just because we want to be your friends, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, and the other and nice thing is that there, there's a great work ethic yeah. that comes from growing up in the Midwest. Yeah, you know? I mean, sure. that's I see my wife, she works harder than anyone I know, and yeah. I give her enormous credit for it because she is a Pilates instructor nice. and has... You know, really now not only has clients, but really has a following. Nice. And she teaches, you know, Pilates to people with Parkinson's oh, wow. and cool. with, you know, knee replacements. So it's a, it's a very much more rewarding type of yeah. environment. And she's really, you know, as I said, she's, she's kind of built herself up to the point where she was running the department, the Pilates department at our local gym. Uh, which she's stepped down from now because she wants to focus more on the actual teaching side of things. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, how does how does a German kid living in Madrid uh, meet a girl from Wisconsin? That's yes. a good question. Take us on the journey. Um, it was actually, you know, as I said, I was studying at St. Louis University, the Madrid campus, and she was actually studying at the home campus in Missouri. And I guess some of her girlfriends had done their you know, your semester abroad at the campus in, in Madrid, and we're going back for spring break because they wanted to go back and kind of, you know, see the campus and see their old, the real live Madrid, etc. And so they invited her to come along, and as, I guess, tickets were cheap at that point, she said, why not? Um, and so she came over on her spring break, and uh, we ran into them in the courtyard of our school, of our university now it's slightly different um than, than you'd imagine over here um people are like why, why was everyone hanging out in the courtyard and you know like even my wife was saying to her friends like why, why are we going to the school courtyard like yeah. what's wrong with you people right but it was much more of a, of a of a hangout because you know everyone was there and whether you're smoking a joint in the corner or just hanging out or going to the school next door, which is what we did um, with the girls. We took them to the Spanish university next door, which serves beer in their cafeteria, right? So you go and you have a little beer and 
Then we took him up <laughs> to watch Beer the sunset. The well, yeah, I mean, Fucking that's the Europe, thing. Man. It's, it's hey, Europe. That's, that's the way we roll, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's why it's it's different to say, let's go hang out in the school courtyard over there than it is here. Yeah. You know, it's like, because there it means, yeah, let's go, let's go have a beer and sit in the sunshine. Nice. You know? Um, yeah, and then essentially we we never spoke after that e- afternoon. Um, at that point, so it was just a hello, how are you? My group of friends is hanging with your group of friends. Pretty much, pretty much. No, you know? no romantic thing, right? No, there. nothing, nothing at all. Um, actually, at that point, I had a girlfriend and she had a boyfriend as well. So, um, I think it was more my guy friends that were trying to get on her girlfriends, to be honest. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. We, so you meet this character, this person in your life. You yeah. know, you're just another cast of characters, uh, just like Absolutely. we all meet people every day. Absolutely. How you doing? How and you doing? That's How you it. Doing? Yep. Yeah. Um, well, and then that's the thing about it. I want to say almost a year passes. Um, well, well, I guess spring break, and then no. So in the fall, it's about half a year. Um, fall semester rolls around. And I have to go to the home campus to do some of the classes that I couldn't do at the Madrid campus um, to finish off my degree, uh, which, by the way, I never actually finished off. I was studying art history and then decided I was much better suited for the studio and became an audio engineer instead. <laughs> but at that time, I had to go to the home campus to um, to study or to take some of the classes, some of my keynote classes for my degree. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, like one of the first few days, I'm standing there outside, about to go into cl- about to go into a class, uh-huh. and uh, this beautiful blonde girl walks by, and she goes, "Hey, I know you." And I go, I uh. turn around, and I go, uh, "Yeah, you do." Um, and then as she got closer, I kind of recognized her from you know that time that we yeah. had, and it was it was just odd to kind of bump into her there. Um, randomly, you know? yeah. And for me, it was like I I was going to St. Louis. I wasn't necessarily happy about going to St. Louis because yeah. Well, coming from Madrid, where I had a lot of friends and my and beer on campus and beer on campus. Um, the year I was going to St. Louis, it was actually rated in America number one for crime, obesity, and STDs. So it was it was quite quite an interesting image that I had concocted in my head before actually arriving there, so to speak. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, it's like what am I gonna get uh, raped? robbed and infected all at the same time or you know did they yeah. do it separately um but you get a punch card oh okay cool uh, 10th rape is free yeah <laughs> um no that's no joke uh especially there because some girls were actually pulled into cars on oh god like, is that bad dude that's crazy. it's ghetto like it's ghetto like i have friends of mine that were held up at gunpoint and had their passports taken from them like In st louis like on the main, on the one street that like dissects the two sides of the campus. Wow, um, that's crazy. Other like friends of my girl of my wife um, were also held up at gunpoint right outside of their what? apartment bu- apartment building, which is right opposite the street of the school of the campus. Like it, it was pretty ghetto. I'm not gonna lie. That's crazy. Um, so, so you know, amidst the, the the what you thought you'd come back to, you see this ray of sunshine. This girl, exactly, I know you, know, you and exactly. And I go, "Ooh, this okay." And so we exchange numbers, and I try and call her and and have her come over for barbecues or go out a few times, and never really worked out because uh, at that point she had a boyfriend out here in California in Santa Barbara, actually. Which she, every time I called her, she was actually on her way out, like the weekends, etc. Yeah. So kind of lost out of sight out of mind again i'm like well mm-hmm. i guess that that's was it, not in you the know? cards yeah, i guess yeah. that's not it you know if after i try four or five times i'm like and i guess i get the message right mm-hmm. and then um about a month before i'm leaving st louis so this is now a full two semesters later 
um, a month before I'm going to leave St. Louis, I get a phone call from a friend of mine, and he goes, hey, I'm sitting here with this really cute blonde girl who says she knows you. And I'm sitting there after now eight months of St. Louis being like, I don't know any blonde girls. Like, I barely leave my apartment. Yeah. You know, I, I play video games and go to class. Like, I, I wish I knew some pretty girls here, right? Yeah. Um, I was single at the time and et cetera. So I'm like, I, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Right. And he goes, well, come on over. Come on over and you'll see. So Saturday afternoon, I didn't really have anything better to do but sit in my apartment and play video games. So the prospect of possibly meeting a cute blonde girl that says she knows me, well, sounded quite appealing to me. So sure enough, I head on over there, and then and I walk in, and there there she is. There's Jocelyn sitting on the sofa, and this time it was my turn to turn around and go, hey, I know you. Yeah. Right? And uh, that, that's kind of where it started, you know, and that was when we both kind of realized that it's the third time over the span of a over the span of a year and a half now, yeah. on two separate continents that we randomly bump into each other. Yeah, that's like, wild, man. Something, someone, something's telling us something. Right? Yeah. And so we kind of started dating and then uh, did a long distance thing for a long while because I went back to Spain and she was living out in Santa Barbara. Was that um, tough? It was tough. It was really tough, especially, you know, between Spain and, and California. How long were you guys separated? <sighs> before like by distance uh, distance like time like yeah how how long in time were you guys separated by distance oh um a good because like, i don't want to say separate because that it sounds years, like you guys like weren't talking like or something, you know? no i mean like yeah. i'd come over and, and spend you know a month or two in santa right. barbara when i could so, and, so a year and, and a half then yeah something around like there. we're just visiting when you can exactly okay About and, a year and a half, two years. but not in the day-to-day of each other's life so go ahead after the year and a half what's up um, well then, you know, we, we got more serious. I actually came out and I, I visited our parents and then I asked her to come and move to Madrid while I was finishing up my studies to become an audio engineer. And she had enough faith in me and our relationship that she dropped a job, a very lucrative job. And well, she was a, the manager of a high end men's fashion boutique and basically running a multi-million dollar company. Um, for a while there, and she gave that all up to come live in Spain uh, with me, and yeah, sure enough, we then got married, and after I finished my, my studies as an audio engineer and had built up a studio over there, and because Spain at that moment was in its crisis, and its heavy economic crisis, we decided that being both American citizens, we had more chances and opportunities you know, to kind of build up our own thing and actually make some money over here in America. And so we decided if we're coming to America, then it's have to be California because, you know, Jocelyn had lived in Santa Barbara before and I like the California lifestyle when I'd come to visit her. So uh, we figured Santa Barbara is a little too high living expenses for a young couple and a little too small of a community. Uh-huh. We both would probably shoot ourselves, each other, or someone on the fourth week if we actually decided to live in L.A. Yeah. And we, we, it's just this too... Bustly. Too bustly, too big of a city, too much traffic for us to really comprehend. Um, and so we actually, on one of my trips out, come down to San Diego and really enjoyed it. Good weather, good atmosphere, good, good people. And um, so we decided, hey, why not? Let's try San Diego. That's awesome, man. So, wow, separated... By time, separated by continents, it and you guys still and a nine-hour time difference. 
Yeah, still kept running into each other and then even held it together too after you did decide to date. That's dope, man. Yeah. You guys are an awesome couple. I, I am glad to have an awesome married couple friend. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know my wife's schedule is so crazy that we didn't really we haven't got to hang out like a whole bunch of times as, as couples. Uh, but uh, yeah, when she gets back, she's on deployment right now. She's in the yeah. Navy. But when she gets back, we're going to be kicking it at your house. Oh, for sure. Probably more than you want. So, <laughs> Oh, you're more yeah. than welcome to. But, Our uh, house is open for but yeah, friends Super cool. Super cool, man. I had to get that out there because it's inspiring to, to see people that have uh, good relationships and good mm-hmm. mind states you know so everybody out there if you're around toxic people if you're around uh uninspiring people you need to leave them alone you yeah. know because any you know a lot of people that that in your in your day-to-day life if they're doing really cool stuff or if you can go up to them and talk to them after you know being gone for a couple of days and you're like hey what are you doing and they're always some new cool badass story those are the people you want to be around because they'll motivate you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think... And you guys the, are definitely like that. I mean, so. the important thing, too, to remember is that, like, you know, with any relationship, we have our ups and our downs. And it's, you know, how you work through them. And just knowing that this is the person that I do want to spend the rest of my life with, you know, it's it's very important. And as anything in life, you know, a relationship takes work. You know, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of introspection on yourself. And, uh, I mean, I know it's made me, you know, especially being married, and, and it's made me kind of reflect a lot about myself, about my childhood, and about what I bring into the marriage, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily fair on her. You know, I know there's a lot of times that I get triggered, um, and that's from some childhood trauma, and that's mm-hmm. not fair to her, but it's difficult, you know. I mean, it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah, oh, yeah, know? And definitely. that's the thing, like... He, what I'm trying to say is if you truly love the person that you're with, um, it might get rough at times. And uh, I guess if you truly believe that that's the person for you, you know, just try and persevere and find some way to become a partnership. Yeah, man. Make that shit work. Stick to it. You you, you know, especially if you get married, you know, don't don't uh, don't baby out, you know, yeah. don't baby and out of it. You know, don't if, take your if wife for granted. Unless you're completely... In an abusive situation, those well, yeah. are the only times that where I say that somebody should leave it, and that's man on woman or woman on man. Because I've heard of people getting beat up by their girls too, oh, yeah. and that's that's possible, okay, in this day and age. So well, it's possible, uh, and it's not reported and it's, it because it's luck. shameful. It's not reported. Yeah, you know? that's crazy. But uh, thank God that we are we are not abusive, and thank God we're not getting abused. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad happy to about be. That. I'm glad my <laughs> wife does not kick my ass. <laughs> yeah, she, she probably could. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, my, my wife's my, cool. My wife's five too, but I mean, she's a Pilates instructor. She is much stronger than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, I'm an audio yeah. engineer. I, I sit at a desk all day, and, yeah. and she works out all day. So what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I visited my wife's work, and uh, you know, in, on the boat, the mm-hmm. Navy, the ship, and I went to the ship, and I'm like. Jesus, this is a workout. Like you're walking through these corridors oh, and the, yeah. the steps, like they're, they're, the doorways are like raised. They're, you have to step over oh, yeah, cause every doorway because the yeah. things are airlocked. Yeah, and you have to yeah. close a big heavy door and do the seal on it. And yeah. It's nuts. And I, oh, I feel I, like, I, I, for I one, I feel imagine. like I'm in the Alien movie because there's all these airlocks or something. Mm-hmm. And then two, it's just like stairs that are damn near vertical. It's like not yeah. almost a ladder, but it's not. Yeah. And you have to kind of find a way to traverse this stair that's not a stair. 
crazy so and you're just going up and you go up and it's it's nuts uh but uh, <laughs> ship life is nuts mad respect to all the sailors out absolutely, there absolutely absolutely that's crazy a lot and, of respect but yeah i don't know I don't, I don't know how my wife does it every day but hey she does she does but man Respectful. well um so let's go ahead and give an email address that they can get to hold of you with absolutely for studio work and studio time absolutely um the email will be c dot d u e r r m e i e r at gmail.com right and what we will do is put that on the website too absolutely, because the last name is a little bit unconventional um yes and uh the websites the temporary one should be up in uh, a couple of days so if you want to keep an eye out on soundclipstudios.com um we should be live within a few days just with the temporary one and then as i said the big rollout uh, will be announced and I'm excited. I'm excited too. I think I think there's some very some very exciting times ahead of us. I'm very excited to be able to offer uh, my studio to the production of yeah electronic music, rock bands, everything. You can go. You can record pop acts, especially jazz, blues, whatever you want to record. You can do it in this studio. He's got the keyboards for it. He's got the synthesizers for it. He's got the mics for it. It's amazing. I've got all the toys that you've always wanted and that I've spent the last 13 years working towards having. Yeah, classic gear, new gear. It's it's really impressive and he's going to send me some photos too. So before the website even gets launched, you're going to see it first right here on uh, rajirabbit.com slash podcast. (laughs) <laughs> as an exclusive glimpse into uh, the studio before it opens. So thank you very much for spending your time with me, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate you inviting me down here and having me on your podcast. No problem, man. Thanks for putting up with Pete. <laughs> Peter Parker. Peter okay. Parker. He's uh, he's good. He's being all right right now. Yeah, he's, he's been pretty good. I mean, He started off with a bang, though. It's okay. I got two puppies of my own, so <laughs> I don't all get right. faced by them. All right. Thanks um, a lot, buddy. Thank you. Have a great day.